Good evening, Journey. Good to see you guys. Happy 4th of July weekend. It's pretty great that we get to spend uh, all of this together. However, I just want you to know up front, that's not what we're celebrating this weekend, uh, which you, you might be surprised by that. What we're actually going to celebrate is my birthday, which is today. All right? Yeah. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and, and I know up front, like, I'll forgive you for not bringing gifts to this uh, weekend worship experience because you didn't know. Uh, however, I will be here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And so, like, I'll see you then, right? I'll see, we'll hang out in the morning. Uh, I, I feel like it would just be, it, w- it would be me withholding grace if I didn't let you have the opportunity uh, to give because I'd be stealing some of your joy in that moment. So uh, that, that's what we'll be doing tomorrow, and I'll see you there. Uh, I'm kidding. Okay, I mean, I'll accept your gifts, but I'm kidding. And, and even though it, it really is my birthday today, uh, your presence is gift enough. See what I did there, too, with the presence and gift? Yeah, that's, that's clever. Uh, so anyway, we're, we're in the third week of a series that we're calling uh, Against the Grain, and it's all about going against the grain, right? Like I, there's not too much to explain there. I don't want to insult your intelligence just yet on that. Uh, but I will say this. Today is actually going to be packed full of Scripture, and, and, I, and I know maybe you don't have to give like such a warning when, when you all showed up to a place uh, to join a group of people that call themselves the church, right? You, you might expect such a thing, but I'm gonna, just going to tell you now, we're going we're gonna to go through a lot of scriptures, so maybe that's why I've already got my sleeves rolled up. You could roll yours up and, and be ready to go and do the best you can do to engage what God has for you, and I'll do the best I can do to, to share what I think God's been teaching me that might be valuable to you, and we'll do that together. Does that sound like a good deal? Yeah, okay, good. Let, let, me, let me pray for us and just ask God to, to be present with us as, as we dive into all that he has for us. God, would you just allow us all a moment to maybe slow down and recognize that, that you're with us right now. The, that whatever we've been uh, doing the, this past week, whatever we've been thinking about, whatever's been going on there, that we might be able to set that aside and, and just be fully present before you this evening. Would you give us ears to hear what it is you have to say to us? Uh, would, would we believe that you are a God who wants to speak directly to our hearts, each one of us individually, something specific you might have for us as well as a uh, whole community? I know, God, I can't do any of this without you, and so would you give me your words to speak this evening? Would I not get in the way of what you have for us? We do this all for your glory because we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so back in the day, when I was a little boy, I was not much shorter than I am today, but I was a big fan of the WWF, which is the World Wrestling Federation. Like, I was a fan of that before all the wrestlers went crazy, like, and every, everyone went rogue, and they started all these crazy leagues. I don't even know what's happening now. Uh, but as a seven-year-old, I was a huge fan of the Ultimate Warrior. Does anybody know who the Ultimate Warrior is? We've got some Ultimate Warrior fans. Okay, like seven of us Ultimate Warrior fans will hang out afterwards, and we'll talk about that. And so he was my favorite wrestler. And so seven-year-old me, uh, I, I would often wrestle with my dad, and, and I'd, I'd jump off like the fake top rope, you know, which would be like the, the arm of the, the couch, right? And I'd do like an elbow drop right on his chest, and I'd say things like, I've got the belt, I've got the belt, and I'd, you know, like the championship belt, right? And I'd walk around like that. It was, I don't 
do it very much anymore, but it was classic <laughs> back then. It was, it was a good time. And so as a result of my, my fandom of the ultimate warrior, I have these images of him ingrained in my mind. He had like this long flowing hair and he had this crazy awesome face paint that was something like lightning bolts, right? And he had these, these armbands that he tied around that made his biceps look even bigger than they already were, right? Like you could, that's perspective. You can see about that. And, and, and that's what he looked like. And so I have these images of him ingrained in my head. And so it's all quite a nostalgic feeling, really. And so you can imagine my shock when this week uh, I Googled images of him. Uh, I went on Google and I wanted to see what he looks like now. And yeah, he's aged a bit. <laughs> he has. And, and <laughs> this is kind of the case with celebrities, right? We always think of them like in, the, in their best form, at their best. And I was disappointed that when I Googled the Ultimate Warrior, I did not find a picture of the 1991 Royal Rumble champion. I found the, the 2013 version. However, the internet doesn't want you to know what the current Ultimate Warrior looks like. Like I had to go deep into Google to find a current picture of the ultimate warrior. And he has in fact changed a little bit. And what's ironic about what I was, this is a horrible transition, I'm just gonna keep going. Right, what's ironic about this is that while the ultimate warrior's best self of, is how I think of him, that's what I imagine him looking like, that's how we want other people to think of us too. Like we're often leery of, of revealing our true humanity, who we are, our wounds, our, shorts, our shortcomings, our insecurities, our aging even. We don't want people to see that. We want everyone to see like the ageless, airbrushed, you know, like us in our prime head shots version. That's what we want people to see when they see us. And so instead of wallowing in this truth about ourselves, because we'll get to that later in the message, I'm going I'm to take us into the life of this guy named Paul. Uh, he's the Apostle Paul. We, we read about, about him a lot in the New Testament. And we're going to find his example and his words uh, are constantly urging us to go against the grain and, and reveal our true humanity. And so we're going to be diving into his life in 2 Corinthians. So if you want, you can turn to 2 Corinthians now so you're ready because we're going to be like all over that book and you can follow along if you want. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. But what we're going to see here is a picture of Paul and it's going to be a picture of Paul like in all of his unairbrushed, wound-bearing humanity. We're going to see an image of Paul where he's aging and he's struggling in the midst of exhaustion. Uh, but before we witness all of what Paul's going through in 2 Corinthians, let me just give you the quick backstory uh, that leads us to this point in Paul's life. And so not to assume that we all know about Paul, there was a time in Paul's life when he was actually called Saul. And as Saul, he hated Christians. He was persecuting Christians. He wanted to kill Christians, and, and he was pretty good at it, too. And so he's walking on this road to Damascus, and boom, he has this encounter with Jesus. It knocks him down. He goes blind. It was pretty wild, I imagine. And he's blind for a few days, and then he becomes like the most legit missionary church planner for, for Jesus, and it, it just, boom, total 180, changes everything in his life. So now he becomes Paul, and he's planting churches left and right, right? We, we, he's writing a bunch of the New Testament, he's working all over the place, telling everybody about this Jesus that changed his life. And in the process, Paul becomes uh, what some people would say is maybe a bit egocentric, 
all right? He becomes a little egocentric and he, and he starts to brag about some things. Like he, he tends to brag about the authority he has in the Lord, which is probably a good thing to brag about, but he, he does it a little bit much and people get a little put off. He brags about how much he loves people and, and how much he loves these people in Corinth in particular that we're gonna read about. And he's also, believe it or not, he's accused of some manipulative fundraising, too. And so like that, that stuff never goes away. Like it started with Paul and it's still going today. It's, it's all over the place, right? And, and so that's Paul. And so here he starts out, has this great change. And then there's these things as he's doing great things for Christ that people start to say about him. And so we're going to pick up uh, kind of Paul's, Paul's life in Second Corinthians where his former glory is starting to fade away when it comes to like the, the light of public appeal and perception. He's kind of like the ultimate warrior circa 2013, Right, he's a little old, a little worn out, a little run down. And don't tell the ultimate warrior I said that about him. Okay, that, that could go bad because he's still large. And so, so here, here's why all these things are happening in Paul's own heart. Paul talks about this group of people that are known as the super apostles. Okay, I had no idea about the super apostles until I started diving into 2 Corinthians and it's like all over the place. And so he talks about these guys. And so word on the street in Corinth wasn't there, but I'm just I'm assuming this is the word on the street, is that these super apostles, who I'll tell you about in a moment, were, were better communicators, better writers, better miracle workers than, than Paul, even though their gospel was a bit distorted and a bit off base. They were like taking all this fame. That's probably why he called them the super apostles. And so it's in the midst of all this that his church is responding in the opposite fashion that Paul would have them respond. And so now he's living his life a bit on edge, a bit exhausted by people listening to this new message of the super apostles. Right? And so he's like, man. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to do a scripture drive-by, we call it. They're really safe. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at like the source of all of Paul's woundedness here. Okay, and first up is 2 Corinthians 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 8. And Paul's talking here, and here, here's what he says. He says, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with gentleness and kindness of Christ, which is really nice of him. That sounds nice. And he says, Though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. So like he's kind of addressing some of these rumors about him that, that he can say all these kind of tough, challenging things when he's far away, but when he comes face to face, he's an unskilled communicator and he's very timid about it. So maybe some of these things are true and you can start to see what Paul is dealing with, what he's carrying. And then in verse eight, he says this, I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, Right? I told you that was an issue with him. And he says, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. He's got to keep telling people why he's using his authority, why he has authority in the Lord. Like these claims regarding Paul, the, these things that are being said that he's responding to are all in relation to the super apostles. And so now we're going to read about them. So we're in chapter 11 now, verses 5 and 6. Remember, this is just a scripture drive-by. That's why we're jumping all over. And here's, here's what it says. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. All right, so he's addressing them specifically. He says, I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Right, he's continually doing battle with the super apostles. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 11, we're jumping ahead again. He says this, he says, You have made me act like a fool, boasting like this. 
You ought to be writing commendations for me, for I am not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing at all. Right? He's like, no, 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 I'm better than them, but I'm nothing. Right? And he goes back and forth on this. But you can sense it as you look at, at those few verses, the wounds in Paul's life are beginning to surface. Right? He, he, he's feeling the angst of the super apostles and how his own church is responding. Right? Because he's had some struggles with this church in Corinth. He's had to, to work another job to be able to even, even make ends meet. He, he's nurtured this decisive and maybe a little a bit inconsiderate and often uncaring congregation. Like Paul is hurting at this moment. And if anything, that's what I want you to get as we dive into this next, next part in chapter 11. Where, where man, it, this just comes from Paul's gut. This just comes from his heart. Uh, you get to see that Paul is a real person. It's laden with his humanity, which also means that there's some sarcasm in it, which is one reason I relate very well to Paul. I like him very much for that. And so what we're about to read about Paul is something that's obviously been brewing in him for some time. Like, it's not like this just happened on the spot, and he sets out to essentially brag about his weaknesses, which is kind of a crazy thing to brag about. And so he, he goes on this rant in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 16. Here's what he says. We're going to, to verse 31. All right, this is going to be crazy. That's a lot of verses. Follow along. Here's what, here's what it says. Again, I say, don't think that I am a fool to talk like this. But even if you do, listen to me as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. All right, so he's foolish and he's boasting. Like all kinds of crazy stuff going on here. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool. He's letting us know that this is something deep inside of him. This is who he is. And since others boast about their human achievements, super apostles, I will too. After all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it even when someone enslaves you, super apostles, right? Takes everything you have, super apostles, takes advantage of you, super apostles. He's addressing them over and over again, right? He says, takes control of everything and slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare to boast about it too, He's like, look, I can be as, as foolish and boasting as these guys can. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he goes, I know I sound like a madman, which I think is one of the coolest sentences in the Bible. Like, I think I sound like a madman. Yes, you do. You sound like one, he says, but I have served him far more. He wants you to get the passion that's building inside of him. He says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Like Paul is begging us to look at how weak he is, right? He's like, look how weak I am. But then he really gets going. He says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole day and a whole night adrift at sea, I have traveled on many long journeys. He says, I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. 
I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who has led astray and I do not burn with anger? He says, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am, which apparently is pretty weak. That's what he's trying to let us know. He says, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. Whew. Or like, I can just imagine Paul writing that. Like, have you ever written anything impassioned and you're just, you're just scribbling as fast as you can? Like, oh man, just all of this deep within him. It wasn't something that just came up on the spot in response to this. Like, it's a picture of Paul's humanity. All the pain and all the passion comes out. And Paul lays his soul bare, right, as he starts to brag on how weak he really is. It's like he's saying to, to this church and to these super apostles, he's like, if you want to see weak, I'll show you real weakness, people. And he, boom, he lays it all out. And the heart of this impassioned rant kind of comes to fruition in some of the, the most powerful words, I think, in 2 Corinthians. And so he, he goes on in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 5, where he, he actually reflects on this experience that he had with the Lord. And so this is what he says in response to that. He says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will only boast about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. He's essentially saying, I could boast about this and that'd be okay, but I'm not going to do it. Right? He's one of those guys who lets you know he could do it, but he's not going to. He says, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. He says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Right, so there was something, this, this thorn, that continually humbled Paul, that brought him down. This is the same Paul who preached before many people who saw the miracles of God, who himself was a miracle of God, and he could not get the Lord to take away the thorn in his flesh. Three times he begged God to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. He says, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I just, I just think as we get to that point, Aren't those words so much more powerful coming from Paul when, when we start to see him as a man who wore his weaknesses and his wounds and his, his struggles on his sleeve? Right, like when we start to see what's really going on behind the scenes of Paul's life. And so now I, I know this is the long way around and I'm not even sure if you're allowed to do this, but I'm gonna go back around and we're gonna go to 2 Corinthians 3 now. Okay, so if this is an illegal preacher move, I'm sorry. But I think we have a sense of, of what's actually happening in Paul's heart and life and why he, he lays out what he lays out in 2 Corinthians 3. And as we start to see this, I think we're actually going to, we're, we're almost to the part that I'm really excited about. And, it, and so we're just going to get there. We're almost there. And we're going to be startled. We're going to be startled by the level of transparency that Paul calls us to. All right, so this is starting in chapter 3, verse 1. And 
And again, I told you, right, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1, we're reading a lot. You're probably not going to have to read your Bible at all for the rest of the week. We'll have covered enough here today. You're good to go, okay? So the free, free preacher pass. Anyway, all right, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, here's what Paul says. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation super apostles, right? Or or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves, right? He's talking to the church. That's all we need. He says, your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant, right? the new covenant of, of who Jesus is, that, that we don't have to try and follow all these rules and get all these things right. We just need to follow Jesus and surrender our lives to him. He says, this, this is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that. It says, For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? And so I will stop there because I need to give some context. I wish I didn't because I want to get to the part that I'm really excited about. But let me, let me just fill us in kind of what's happening here. Like the quick recap version is if you look back to the Old Testament, God gives Moses the law, right there. They're on the top of Mount Sinai. God and Moses are hanging out. He gives Moses the law and, and the, the presence of God fills Moses' face, right? Like the, the glory of God is shining from Moses, and so he, he, he's coming down from the mountain, and because of this encounter he had with God and the presence of God that's shining on him, he has to cover his face with a veil. He's got to cover it up. And this is because it's so spectacular, it's so amazing that the people can't look Moses in the face. They can't do it. They can't look him eye to eye because Moses is too anointed. He's been too close to the presence of God. And so the idea we get from this is that Moses wore this veil, right, so the people wouldn't get hurt, so the Israelites wouldn't get hurt. He had to cover up his face to protect them. And Paul's about to affirm this. He's gonna say, yep, that's true, and then he's gonna flip the script. This is, this is my favorite part in like four verses. Here's what he says, picking up in verse nine. In the old way, Again, talking about the old covenant, which brings condemnation, was glorious. If that was uh, glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? He really wants us to get that the new way is better than the old way. There's more glory in the new way than there was in the old way. He says, in fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. And Paul takes that to heart all the time. 
right? He is always very bold. He's not afraid of that, and so he's very bold in verse 13 when he says this. He says, we are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Again, Christ is the only way. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. So we're going to stop there. I'm going to get a drink of water because I'm really excited about this next part. That's always awkward to do that. I'm sorry. Okay, so, so here we are, right? I was going to stop there anyway. And I, I don't, I've never had my mind blown reading the New Testament quite like I did when I read this and actually figured out what was being said. Right? Here's what happened. Paul, Paul is saying about Moses that he didn't just wear the veil to protect the people. He didn't just cover the glory of God to protect the people, but also to protect himself from the people when the glory of God's presence was no longer with him. Like, you see what I'm saying? Paul is essentially saying that the glory of God was not on Moses. When it wasn't on Moses, when it went away, days, weeks, whatever, months later, the people wouldn't know the difference. He always wore the veil. The people he was leading wouldn't know if Moses was up or down in the presence of God or not. And it's kind of like Paul is throwing Moses under the bus here. He's doing that a little bit. He's saying, ah, we don't want to be like Moses. But if you've ever led anything, if you've ever been concerned about what people might think about you, then like Moses, you know the temptation to be perceived as the one who always has it all together. You know what that feels like, and that's what Moses was doing. That's what Paul's saying Moses was about. Like, that's mind-blowing. Moses from the Old Testament, like the guy who was encountering God on the top of the mountain, maybe should have taken off the veil. Right, the reality is all we ever see then of Moses, and that's what Paul's saying, all the Israelites ever saw was this glamour shot of Moses. Right, 1991 ultimate warrior. That's all they ever got to see. That's what he's saying. And so covering our faces, so to speak, isn't what God intends for you and I. God isn't asking us to pretend like we have it all together all the time. Right, it's time to take off the veil in our own lives, it's time to remove that. And so Paul finishes with this, because that sounds pretty daunting. Here's what he says. He says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Right? Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Like, that means covering yourself of who you really are isn't even an option when you turn to the Lord. The veil's gone. There's nothing left to cover yourself with. You're laid bare. We get a pretty good image of that with Jesus on the, the cross. And then he goes on to say, he says, for the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Like Moses wasn't doing anyone any favors by always keeping the veil on. 
And so when we read of this freedom that Paul talks about, right, it's, it's freedom in the Lord that's not necessarily freedom so that we could like sing and shout and, and praise and worship. It's not necessarily that kind of freedom, but rather it's the freedom to be who we really are. That's the kind of freedom we have, like all the wounds, all the mess, all the insecurities, the shortcomings, the wrinkles, the gray hair, like all of it. He says you have the freedom to be who you really are. In Christ, there is only freedom to be who you really are. That's all there is. And with the veil gone from our faces that's covering us, It's the power of the Lord that then transforms us to be more and more like him. This is the new way, right? That nothing would be hidden when we turn to the Lord. That nothing would be hidden anymore. And so Paul gives feet to this unveiling freedom in Christ in 2 Corinthians 4. Yes, we're going to another chapter of the Bible, so I'm gonna get a drink again. And and we're gonna read 12 verses real quick and I'll tell you what it means. Here's what Paul says. After after he lays this whole thing out, freedom to be who you really are, he says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us the new way, we never give up. Like no matter matter how scary it is, no matter how daunting it is, no matter how, how naked we feel in front of the Lord, he says, never give up. That that's what it's about, revealing who you really are. He says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We, we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God. And all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. He's saying, this is how much I love you, you guys. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. That's very humbling. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed, he says. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Right? He says, we, we cannot hide anymore. We cannot hide our wounds and our weaknesses because if we do, if we hide those things that are true about us on the inside, like those deep things in the dark corners, if we hide those things, we're hiding the light of Christ that shines brightest in our weakness. 
We're dimming the light ourselves by trying to cover it up. And something that we think about all the time is we always think like the glory of the Lord shining from our lives will always be brighter and bigger and stronger when we keep the veil on, just like Moses thought, when we're not fully transparent with how we are, right? So that way others won't know how fragile we are. We think it'll be better off if we look perfect. That's definitely a symptom of Christianity. We think we're gonna look better if we have it all together. People will be like, yeah, that's what it looks like. But we've gotta reveal who we really are. So I'm gonna start in three separate steps. First one, second one, third one, right? It's gonna get gradually more personal. So the first one is this. Now, I... I know this might be a point of contention for some, some here, and I'm sorry about that, but I very much like to wear a hat. Right, you see that. And, and so here, here's part of why I like to wear a hat. I like hats in general. I like hats, I like, I like what they look like and the feel like and all that, but however, I also don't like my head. Right, I, I have a giant forehead, I do. Hi, my name's Chris, and I have a giant forehead. And, and I don't really like my forehead, and I don't really like my hair when I, when I don't have a hat on. It's all frizzy and poofy, and it's weird. And I, and I also have, like, this going on for the last 15 years receding hairline thing. It's not going back that much farther, but it's there. I don't really like it. And so I, I wear a hat because apparently I'm really vain, okay? Uh, I am, and, and so that's why I wear a hat. So, so, so step one for me tonight would be that I'll take my hat off for you. Right, and, and I, even, I practiced this earlier and I can't help but like touch my head. Right, like it's just, a, it's a deal for me. I'm working on it, okay, I'm working on it. Second one, two. So summertime's here. You know that, it's been hot, right? It's been pretty hot and we, we're not allowed to complain because we have nine months of winter, but it has been hot. And, and every year for the last six years, my wife has said to me, she's like, you know, you get hot all the time. I think it's a guy thing. We get hot all the time. And she's like, you should wear tank tops in the summer. You would feel so much better. I'm like, no, actually I won't. Uh, I'm not gonna wear a tank top, thank you. Right, and, and like uh, maybe a little self-conscious about my skinny arms. That's why I make jokes like they look like the ultimate warrior because I know they don't, right? And maybe a little, a little self-conscious about that. Uh, I also have like this rectangular shaped chest hair which is really strange. I know, the TMI, right, TMI. However, I, I get that I could be the, the guy who shaves it off. I don't wanna be that guy. No offense if you're that guy. I just don't wanna be that one, all right? No offense to you. I'm glad you're here. Um, and and so, so for so long, I've been like, I am, I am completely uncomfortable with my body, which I, I maybe don't have reason to be. And, and so uh, finally, this year, I said, okay, I'm gonna wear the tank top. I'm gonna do it, and so I busted it out today. Busted it out. I, I feel like, yeah, that's a big step. That's a big step, huh? I mean, you get it? July 4th, right? Yeah. Okay, so we just got, so you guys are all thinking, he said three points, and he's taken off two articles of clothing, right? I, I promise you number three is no clothes, like it has nothing to do with clothing, okay? It's just right up front so we can re-engage Right, man, it does feel a lot more comfortable in here though in a tank top. I already feel better. Uh, 
Okay, so the, the, the third thing is this. And, and th- this is what I would call my, my first pain. My first pain. And, and so I, I'm currently uh, in seminary and I have a, a class where I have a, a coach or a spiritual director. And, and we've been working on this thing where, where she's challenged me to, to label like the first pain in my life. Think back to what I can remember. Man, I, I'm nervous to share this. Uh, think back to the first thing that you can remember uh, that, that brought some sort of pain to your life. And so uh, I, I thought a lot about it. I've been working on it literally for like the last three months. And so I kind of told this story. I'm going to tell you the quick version of the story because I want to actually tell you about sharing our first pain. Um, in high school, as, as a sophomore, I had this group of friends, really good group of friends. And, uh, we, you know, 10, 15 of us, we love to hang out, have fun together. Well, at some point during that year, they decided that they were going to be the, the kind of friends who like to... to to party and smoke weed and, and do that kind of thing. And I had to make a decision. I didn't want to do that. And then not, so, so you don't think I'm like super holy. Mostly it was because I didn't want to mess up my basketball. Like that, that's all I wanted to do was play basketball. But there was, there was some, like, I think that's what Jesus would be about too in me, but, but I don't want to give myself that much credit, right? And so I finally decided I can't go do that. I can't go hang out with you. Uh, I'm going to go home, right? And eventually nobody invited me anymore. And so I, I got to spend a lot of time playing basketball, actually, by myself. And, and, and I told her this story, and Deborah's like, you need to name that. Like, what, what is that in you? And, and I named it, and it's, it's just, it's loneliness. Like, that was the deepest pain in me, was that I was lonely. And, and so, fast forward to, to this. Um, about a month ago, my wife and I, uh, her name's Kate, we, we were not having the best week of marriage, right? There's some more. I'm just throwing it all out there. Yeah, we don't, we're not perfect. You know, it's having a hard time, right? It was, it was one of those, it was just one of those weeks. Like we weren't communicating, things weren't going well. And, and we, were, we were arguing, debating, fighting, whatever. And there was a lot of pushback happening there. And so uh, I, I just, I was sitting here actually on a Saturday night. And then I realized I, I needed to invite Kate essentially into the darker places of my life. Like, I needed to let her in on these things, right? Like, if our life is an iceberg, right, then 90% of that is beneath the surface, right? It's really easy to clean up the top 10%, but I had to, I had to let people in on the 90 below the surface. And so uh, I texted her from, from church. Yes, I texted her from church, right? Another thing. I'm sorry about that. Uh, and, and I said, and I said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come get you after this, and, and we're going go, to go out, so, so be, be ready, and, and so we, when we went out to, to get, we, we went out to a wine bar again, right? We went to Plonk, okay? That's where we went. And then we shared a drink together. And, and let me just tell you, it, it, when you start to bare your soul, even to somebody that knows you better than anybody else in the world, that you love more than anyone else in the world, you don't want to be the guy crying in the wine bar. And I was. And that, that was me. And, and I was like, and I, ju- I just let it, this is me. This, when this struggle this week Remind, I was able to label my pain. I, I felt lonely. I felt like I was without. felt like I was missing something. And it hurt. And that's why it hurt. And I'd never been able to say that that's why it hurt before. And it wasn't easy and it won't be easy. But as Paul reminds us, right, he says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And I finally just had to say to God, all right, I, I don't know what this is, but let's take the veil away. 
And that's when we find freedom, and that's when I found freedom, and that's why I'm finding freedom, and that's why we're finding it in our marriage, and that's why I'm finding it in who I am in Christ. Because I just laid my soul bare, and I want to be more and more like Jesus as I unveil my face to those I love, and I know it's the beginning of being changed into his glorious image. And that's a lot about me. So like, what about, what about you? Don't, you don't have to stand up, none of that, right? I, like, but where do you start? That would be the kind of thing. Like, where, where, where would you start? Because it took, I don't know how I started even, right? It just took that time. And so I think first, I just have some ideas. I have some ideas and these aren't really even that tangible, but maybe you can think about them. And the first would be to actually turn to the Lord and say, yep, I'm in. And when we do that, we just we watch the veil fall from our face. Like I never felt that exposed before. I never felt that exposed. Second, what, what we could do is we could then embrace the freedom because you gotta embrace it real quick or it gets really scary and really hard, right? And you're kinda out there on your own, but man, it, it comes quick. You get to embrace the freedom that comes only from an encounter with the all-powerful God. The third thing we could do is keep the veil off. Because so often we're prone to, to reveal it, to step out and then cover ourselves back up. Nah, that's too much, that's too hard, that's too fast. Keep it off and begin to identify what your wounds and your weaknesses really are, your pain. Much like I had to do, like identify the pain, even make a list. Like I had to make a list of times I'd been hurt. It's kind of a brutal exercise. That's, that's your homework. Go make a list of all the times you've been hurt, right? But, but once we start to identify it, then we can name it. And as we think back over our life and we find that first name and we give it a name, we can actually bring it before the Lord. We can give it to him and we can begin to heal as he promises to become more and more like him and made into his glorious image. And, and I found... And I find in general that, that when we, we identify that pain, we are most moved to act when we're in pain. We're most moved to act. And that was probably why I finally decided to act with my wife. So, so let, let us move forward then right into that freedom that's found in Christ, only in Christ. And as Paul's honest journey, right, super transparent, reveals to us the power of Christ works best in weakness. That's so backwards. That's so confusing. It's even unsettling, right? But the power of Christ works best in weakness. I'm up here in a tank top telling you that. So, right, it's got to have some truth. It's got to be. So let's, let's take a few moments now, and you guys can close your eyes and set your stuff aside, and, and you can just reflect on your own life, dig in deep in maybe what it is that you've been keeping behind the veil of your life. Be still before the Lord. Ask him to reveal who you really are, who he says you really are. Maybe tonight you get to embrace that freedom. You can begin today like the, the journey of living without the veil. And it's no longer covering who God intends you to be as you go against the grain. Your faith is most certainly a process and let's just take that time and be still before him now and I'll, I'll close us shortly.
God, as we, many of us sit here, maybe even thinking about some of these things for the first time, I know I'm humbled, but even a little, a little frightened to, to know that you're a, you're a God who, who sees us just as we are. You, you know what's behind the veil and you love us just the same. You love us more than we could fathom. And God, I, I know even just as a, from experience and maybe even just beginning on this journey, I don't even maybe know what it is that it entails, but I know that it's hard to take that first step to, as, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, to turn to you, our Lord, and essentially be laid bare to be seen for who we really are, but that there's freedom to do that in you. And so I ask that, that you would give every single one of us here the power of your spirit in our own lives to be honest, to be transparent about who we really are, that we would bring all of ourselves before you, that we would believe that you are a God who, who can redeem our, our pain and our struggles and our weaknesses and our deep wounds, some that are, are worse and more painful than I could even imagine, God, that, that you would take those in, that you would you would make them beautiful again, that you would take those broken pieces of our lives and just like Paul challenges us to bring them forth to the light, that you would shine your light on them and you would begin to heal us and you would begin to shine your glory as you make us more and more like you. Would that truly be the cry of our heart, God, that we would be more and more like you? And so we humbly hand over those things to you tonight, each day, throughout the week. Because we believe it's worth it. Because we believe you're worth it. Because it's our, our only response to such a deep, life-changing love. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's your name we pray.